0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone today? Good, good to have you here in Ajax. And for those of you who are up in North Durham who are meeting right now, uh, just a, a huge shout out to you. So glad to have you with us this morning too well, we've been having uh, this series on biblical well-being, and, and for me, it's been just a great series. I've enjoyed it so much. I've enjoyed you know, uh, taking part in it. I've enjoyed hearing, you know, what some of our other pastors and our other leaders have to share here at C4. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mary and myself talked uh, about care, and, and Mary talked about specifically the responsibilities. Do you, re- do you remember the responsibilities that she talked about? How we have a personal responsibility in care? Have we? Uh, how we have a shared responsibility that together we have to care for each other, so we have the shared responsibility. And then we have a ministry responsibility. We're being very intentional. Here at C4, about you know caring for the people who are a part of our church and the community that God has placed us in, and then last week, you know, just uh, just a remarkable morning here at C4, and I loved how Pastor John talked to every one of us right from his own heart, where he shared with us and said, "Look, if you're not doing soul care." Then you're not really serious about being you know, in a place of biblical well-being, and that soul care falls on each one of us, you know hearkening back to the, the personal and the shared responsibility, and that, that every one of us needs to engage in soul care because it's so important for us to be well as followers of Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk about a very practical area of biblical well-being that almost everyone struggles with regardless of age and gender, ethnicity or education. And, you know, having been in pastoral ministry for more than 20 years now, here's what's so funny. People will talk to you about almost anything. I have, I have made, I've heard stories that even made my hair curl. <laughs> people will talk to you about almost anything, but there is one sacred thing that people will not voluntarily talk to you about. And it's their personal finances. They'll talk to you about communication at home. They'll talk to you about their sex lives. They will talk to you about their work. They will talk to you about their friends. They will talk to you about their neighbors. They'll have a lot of conversation about what the pastor preached on last week. But they will not talk to you, in general, about personal finances. And I believe that's a crippling weakness in the church of Jesus Christ, especially in North America. Because it is something that almost everyone struggles with. When I was growing up, I grew up in a family of all boys. <laughs> I'm the oldest, and I have two younger brothers. Grew up in Northern Ireland. My, my dad made sure that there were some things we knew you just couldn't mess with. The first thing that you just, like, it was, you know, there was no tolerance in these things. The first one was this, that you couldn't mouth off to, to our mom. If you mouthed off to mom, you had the wrath of dad was followed shortly thereafter, I was the good kid in the family, and I'm not kidding, I was the good kid, but my brother next to me, he broke that one several times and paid the price. So that was enough incentive for the rest of us, you know, to to never break that one. Another one was uh, that you could not touch my dad's sacred coin collection. Now we all knew where it was, it was upstairs in his bedroom and he had this box and it was, you know, that's where he kept his coin collection. My dad, the only kind of hobby he ever had in his whole life was collecting coins, I bore the wrath of breaking that when one day the ice cream truck came around and it was just so cold. It was so hot out, you know, it's burning heat in Northern Ireland and I was like, oh Lord, I, you know, I need help. I need an ice cream. I need a 99 and if you don't know what that is, ask me afterwards. Oh, it's like I'm salivating just thinking about it. And uh, so I went up and I took a coin out of my dad's coin collection and I paid for an ice cream and then I paid later. You know, because apparently it was worth considerably more than the ice cream that I got. One of the... <laughs> I didn't know. I was just a kid. Okay. And one of the other things was, you know, you had to come in when the streetlights were on. How many of you had that rule, you know? And again, you know, if you didn't come in in our house, if you didn't come in when the streetlights came on, then, um, yeah, you, you found out what the consequences of that were. But then there was one thing, even uh, as, as tough and like my dad was so strict on all of those things, but there was one thing that made those all pale by comparison, My dad hated being late. He just, he detested it above all other things. You know, this was the thing that irked him more than anything else. You had to be on time. And it was preferred to be early. And I remember hearing this all of my life. If you're, you know, less than five minutes early, you're late. That is a mantra that my dad used to say to us over and over and over again. If you're less than five minutes early, you're actually late. used to bug us all the time. But my dad has instilled this in us, and honestly, now later in life, I'm seeing it as a tremendous gift from my dad, because it's a gift of margin. Now, it causes me great consternation when I visit other cultures, (laughs) because, you know, some of them, and some of you, you know, I love you dearly, you know, but you're late, And, and a lot of that is cultural background, and, you know, just understanding where we come from. But just so you know, if I'm smiling on the outside, I'm not smiling on the inside if you're late, okay? So, um, you know, I'm keeping score. Some of you get to church, not on time. Not on time. I'm smiling on the outside. Anyways, it's just a thing that I'm trying to work through. But here's what the gift was for me. It was the gift of margin. It was this tremendous gift of margin that my dad gave to us. See, if you've got to be somewhere and it takes you 15 minutes to get there, and you leave, you know, it till 15 minutes beforehand, you have no margin. Everything has to work out just perfectly. Now, some of you are like, what on earth is he talking about? If you've got to be there at 9, you start thinking about it at 9. You people, you people, I'm smiling on the outside. <laughs> you know who you are. But for me, margin reduces stress. Margin keeps me thinking straight. Margin helps us not to panic and helps us not to make poor choices. See, I think margin in our lives is a gift. And whilst I joke about time, there's one area where we all need margin and it's in our personal finances. People worry about all kinds of stuff. I don't know what you worry about. I I looked at a survey online this week and here's what I found out. Here's the top 10 results of what people worry about in this particular survey. Number 10, I seem to be generally unhappy, so people worry about that. Number 9, paying the rent or paying my mortgage, I worry about that. Number 8, I'm worried about my physique, people worry about that. Number 7, wrinkles or aging appearance, I do not worry about that. Number 6, job security. Number 5, financial or or credit cards in general, Number four, my diet. Number three, low energy levels. Number two, worried about my savings and my financial future. And number one, about getting old in general. Now that's an interesting list. That's a decidedly North American list. But it's a very interesting list. Did you notice that financial concerns made the list three times? In the top ten things, and if you include job security, it's in there four times. But people worry about their finances. And yet, as I said earlier, it's the thing that people want to talk about the least, especially in church. The subject of money is very, very important in the Bible. The word believe or believer or believing is used 275 times in the Scripture. Why? Because it's a really important concept. (laughs) The word pray or prayer or praying is used more, 371 times in the Bible, because it's also a very important concept. And the word love or lover or loving is used 714 times in the Scripture because it's a really important concept. The subject of money or giving is used 2,162 times Almost three times as much as love. Why? Because handling money is a very important biblical principle. And it's something that God knows we all struggle with. King Solomon was one of the wealthiest and wisest men who ever lived. And the book of Proverbs, we're going to spend a bunch of our time this morning in the Bible, is a collection of wisdom sayings that Solomon accumulated over the years. These are general uh, sayings, these are principles, general principles about life in general. They're not promises. They are observations of someone who has lived a full and a complete life. They talk about character issues, about relationships, about avoiding disasters, a lot about finances, especially personal finances. Jesus talked about money and possessions in 27 out of 43 parables. So in other words, 63% of Jesus' parables relate to money or possessions and how we handle them. So this morning what I want to do is I want to do something that's really super basic, really, really basic this morning. I want to look at four principles this morning that will help us begin to gain some margin in our lives in the area of our personal finances. And why is margin so important? Well, it's so important because it is a core essence, and especially in this area of finances, to biblical well-being, which is what we're talking about. So here's these four principles very simply, and many of you have heard these before, but this could be a great reminder for us today and a great time for us to take stock personally of how we're all doing. The first one is this, that we need to plan your spending. You have to set some goals. And This is generally true in all of life. You need to have some goals in your life. But when it comes to your spending, you and I need to have some goals, and we need to learn to stick with those goals. See, most of us are not wealthy enough to just wing it. I know that Jen and I are not wealthy enough to just wing it, and I know that most of you in this church are not wealthy enough just to go, we don't have a plan. We don't care because we're never going to run out of funds. We can just spend and do whatever the heck we want, and it's no problem. I don't know. I don't have friends like that. So we need to plan our spending. And this, friends, is the biblical principle of budgeting. It's a principle. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5. Here's what Solomon says. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. See, financial freedom is not determined by how much you make, but by how you spend what you make. Let me say that again, because this is critical for many of you who are here today. Financial freedom is not determined by how much you make, but by how you spend what you make. I've seen this over and over again as a pastor and also as a guy who spent about 10, 12 years in the business world before going into pastoral ministry. I had a friend of mine who always was looking to the next, the next ladder, the next goal, the next uh, you know, marker in the sand. And when he was making like $20,000, yeah, at one point in time when you graduated university, that's how much you made. When he was making 20000 he said, oh, Dave, if I could only make 30000 can you imagine how life would be? And then I saw him, you know, two or three years later, and he was making $30,000. Can you imagine? And he was like, Dave, Dave, if I could only make forty, You know what, friends? That never ends. It never ends because financial freedom is not determined by how much you make, but by how you spend it. King Solomon knows that if we have a plan, a budget, you and I are less likely to fall victim to one of the most disastrous habits available to us in North America. The disastrous habit that is available to all of us in North America is impulse buying. That's why, friends, you need a budget so badly. Because you have to avoid the impulse buy. See, Solomon didn't have radio and TV you know, ads to compete with. For him, if he wanted to avoid impulse buying, all he had to do was make sure that he didn't drive his BMW, his big, massive wagon, past the local bazaar. That's all he had to do. He just had to avoid the local bazaar. And if he stayed away from the local bazaar, then he was kind of okay. He wouldn't fall victim to impulse buying. But we've got online shopping. We have targeted ads, Facebook ads, you know, uh, Gmail ads. We have things like newspaper flyers that, that come to our house all the time. And all of them are designed to do one thing and one thing only. Not be your friend and not look out for your financial success. They are designed to either surface a need in you or create a need in you for the very thing that they are offering you. And what they want you to do more than anything else is to abandon your budget and impulse buy. That's why we make it so easy. Debit cards, credit cards, online shopping. It's just so easy. And then we have, and then we have the cure-all, the gift from God Almighty. No money down, no interest forever. Are you kidding me? I had a boss when I first got into business who said to me, Dave, there is no such thing as a free lunch. There is no such thing. And yet so many of us, because we don't have a budget, we fall victim to these schemes. And at the end of the day, it's people just need to make money and they want to make money on you and on me. A budget, a budget is desperately needed by those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Did you know that in our area, in the Durham region alone, there are support groups for spenders anonymous, shoppers anonymous, compulsive spenders and debtors anonymous. Why? Because people just don't plan their spending. They just don't plan it. In Proverbs twenty-one twenty, in the NIV, it says this. I love this. Solomon says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The, the New Living Translation puts it this way. The wise, have, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The Bible always talks about people like, it's, it's not sinful, it's foolishness. To not have a budget is what Solomon's saying. It is foolishness to fall victim again and again and again to the impulse buy. One of my friends who is a financial planner says it this way. He said, uh, you know, that what we fall victim to is that there is uh, too too much month left at the end of our money. So many of us run out of money before the month ends. And that's because we're not budgeting properly. We are not planning our spending. And remember what we're trying to do here. Remember what the goal is and what the scripture and what I'm trying to do today. Is we're trying to help you understand biblical well-being as followers of Jesus Christ. Because there's so much at stake. There's peace. There's lack of anxiety at stake here. If you get your finances right, friends, life clears up in so many other ways. The second principle that I want to talk about this morning is the principle of setting aside for your future. When it comes to biblical well-being, all of us need to set aside something for our future. This is the principle of saving. In Proverbs 22 and verse 3, Solomon says this, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. See, Solomon's saying, you want to be wise or you want to be a simpleton? That's what. He, that's that's a plain reading of this. Do you want to be wise or do you want to be a simpleton? If you want to be wise, what you do is you set aside something for when danger and a rainy day comes. If you want to be a simpleton, just spend it all today. Just spend it all today. Don't worry about the future. You know, whatever happens in the future just happens. Saving does not negate faith, my friends. Because the Scripture teaches that we need to save. There are so many Proverbs that we could look at this morning. There are so many passages in the Scripture that we could look at this morning. The prudent, the wise, the biblically well person takes refuge, saves, or hides. And the simple or the foolish man spends everything that they get. This week I was kind of intrigued by this, so I went online and I looked at average savings By country. I wondered if there was a difference, you know, growing up in different cultures. I wonder if different cultures do a better job. The countries of Luxembourg and Sweden and Switzerland, you know what the average saving per household is of income? It's over 16% of their income they save annually. Over 16%. Then you've got countries like Australia, 7.2. Austria, 9.27. Canada, 4.22. The United States, 3.13. Why? Why? because we are the impulse buyers. (laughs) We don't set aside enough for our future. A financial advisor that I know estimated that 90% of people are not adequately prepared for some kind of crisis, illness, job loss, death, car accident, and the list goes on. And it can happen to any of us. And if it did, are we prepared? That's the question. Now, what is it that stops most people from saving? What is it that stops most people from engaging in this biblical principle? Well, it's principle number three. We need to learn to enjoy what we have, especially in this country, especially living in Canada, especially living in North America. See, we have been given so much. And, you know, to borrow what Pastor John said last week, we're so hashtag blessed. We've been given so much. And so much is available to us. The buffet is long and wide when it comes to living in North America. And we feel that we should have the right to enjoy every item on the buffet that is in front of us. And what we avoid is enjoying what we have. And the principle here, friends, is the principle of contentment. The principle of contentment I have learned in my own life. Jen and I have been on a journey that is about 15 years long in this. And the biblical principle of contentment is the best antidote to materialism. And materialism is rampant in our culture. We're constantly faced with choices, and we spend money on here and now pleasures rather than saving it for the future. Solomon was one of the guys who really knew what it was like to live the high life. In Proverbs 21, 17, he says this, He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Now, wine and oil are significant in the Old Testament because those were the consumables. Those were the things that signifies that you were living the high life. And so what Solomon is saying very, very clearly to us here is, If you love pleasure, if you feel like you can just eat at the buffet of materialism all the time without any concern at all for the future, then you will never have enough. You will never become rich. You will actually become poor. Why is it that we tend to become so discontent with what we've got? Why is it that materialism has such a grip on our society? Well, first, let me suggest it's because we have so much. In many places, the opportunities to spend simply don't exist like they do here. Isn't it interesting? You can take my word for this. But Rolex does not advertise in the Sudan Gazette or the Syrian Times. Why? Because there's no return. Why is it that all of the top brands focus the majority of their advertising spending in North America. Well simple. Highest rate of return. It's absolutely simple. It's the highest rate of return. They put their investment where they know they get payback. The highest payback. And that's one of the reasons why so many of us struggle with this area of contentment. And friends it goes way beyond our spending patterns. Why is it in the North America we become discontent with our spouse? Why is it that we become so discontent with our house, with our car, and the list goes on? Why and why? Because we are bombarded on a daily basis saying, you should be discontent with that. You're better than that. You're worth more than that. You can do better than him. You can do better than her. You deserve a bigger house. You deserve a much better car than what you're driving. And we are bombarded on a daily basis with that. And if we don't learn the secret of contentment as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to fall victim to this thing. The second, is that, the second reason I think we struggle with contentment, as Jen and I have tried to work this through in our own lives, so I'm just sharing the things that we've learned. The second is this seemingly insatiable desire to keep up with the Joneses, whoever these Joneses are. You know, our friends get a new car, so ours just doesn't look that good anymore, right? I mean... That happens to me. That happens to all of us. Let's at least, you know, be honest about that. You know, my friend gets a new bicycle, so I need one that's got the double suspension, the direct brakes, the anti-dive forks, and the quick shifter, you know, so I can take my four-year-old on his training wheels around the block. Are you kidding me? Like, seriously. And we laugh because we know it's true. True. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's so countercultural in North America in 2017. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with great wealth. Nothing at all. But keep yourselves free from the love of it. And be content with whatever you have. Knowing that God is always with you in every circumstance. So it doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter how big or small your house is. That's actually kind of irrelevant because here's the main thing. Just be content and know that God is with you. Oh, how we need to learn this in our culture. How we need to become radical living Christians in this area. You know, if we want to show the world what it means to be a Christ follower and that it's different than every other faith system out there, if we could get some of this stuff right, we'd make a huge difference. I love First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10 because it's so troubling to me because it's so hard. <laughs> but godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, yeah, Dave, but you're just talking about... No, no, we're talking about money. (laughs) Talking about money. Why? For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at some of the words that are pierced and plunged. These are overly dramatic words that, the writer, uh, that Paul is using to this young pastor called Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, just keep yourself free from that stuff and learn to live a life content with whatever it is that God has given to you. In North America, we need to practice this principle of contentment. And I find that it's so difficult for us. Well, then the fourth principle is to give back to God now obviously God doesn't need my money or your money so why does God want us to give back to him I think it's because of what giving represents see God wants to understand and to know who and what I'm depending on where do I look for my source of provision can I just do a quick aside as one of your pastors here just really quickly and speak to those of you who play the lotteries. I'm just going to do this just totally aside. You're crazy. <laughs> so I, try, I tried to find something this week that would help me illustrate how crazy you really are. Here's the best I could come up with. And I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm just speaking the truth in love. If you were to take quarters, everyone knows how, I don't even have a quarter on me. But if you were to take quarters... And you were to put them all over the floor of this entire building. Now, not just the auditorium, but the entire building. Imagine how like many quarters that would be. That's not enough quarters yet. Then we had to paste all of the walls in every room of this whole building with quarters. Now, that's a lot of quarters, right? Imagine that one of those quarters, just one of them, has a red dot on the bottom side of it. The odds of you winning... A six-number lottery are the equivalent to walking into our building anywhere and walking up to one of the quarters and going, there you go, and it's the one with the red dot on it. That's the odds. Just, Just mathematically, that's the odds. But the question is, where are you looking to for your provision? See, that's the heart behind the odds. Number one, the odds are crazy, and that's why I say you're crazy. Please give me all of your lottery money, please. Give me your lottery money. If your numbers ever come up, I'll work out a deal with some wealthy guy and I'll pay you out. Because it's not going to happen. But the heart of the issue is, who am I depending on? To whom am I looking for my provision? This is the principle of stewardship. And it's a biblical principle. So many people give to God out of compulsion or out of great fear or out of guilt, but none of those are the right reasons to give back to God and to trust God in the area of our finances. God owns everything, and he wants me to manage what he has given me. Giving is his way of reminding me of those facts. See, when I give and when you give, this is why it's so critical in the Bible to address this area of money and particularly this principle of stewardship. Because it's a reminder for me, God does not need my money and God doesn't need your money. God owns everything. But it's a great reminder to me and it's a great reminder to you that that's still true today. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10, Solomon says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, crops, wheat, wheat, Barley and wine in the Old Testament were signs of God's presence and God's blessing on the people. They were the material goods. They were the currency of the day that showed someone that God is with them and God is providing for them and God is blessing them. So here's what we can take from that. If I'm a good steward with what God has given me right now, He'll give me more because He knows I can be trusted. Trusted. If I could only get you to really believe this. Not give mental assent to it and say, oh, I see it, so it must be true logically. No, 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 no. To move it from your head down into your heart. Do you understand the difference it would make in your own personal well-being? Do you understand what it could unleash in our church and in our country? Well, help me, let me help illustrate it. In Luke chapter 16, there is this really weird story that Jesus tells. If you have, in your Bible, it probably says something like a title like the shrewd manager. I I don't have time to go through the whole thing. It's really weird and it's really obscure. And and it takes, you know, a lot of discussion to understand it. But Jesus is really clear on the principle coming out of it. He says this in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, sorry, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Understand what Jesus is saying here? Some of you ask yourself, You know, I'm committed to Jesus. God has given me some spiritual gifts. I'm I'm a talented individual. Why don't I have a bigger ministry platform? Like, why hasn't God used me like he's used some other people? Why isn't God, you know, giving me more opportunities online, on TV, on stage, whatever it happens to be? Why is God not using me more and more? Because I really have a desire to be used by God. I think it would be really cool to be really used by God in a big way. Could it be that God can't trust you with people which he really values because you have proven yourself untrustworthy with money which is of no value in God's sight? See, Jesus is really plain and really simple and really clear here. If I can't trust you, Jesus says, with something as simple as money which all of it we get from God anyways and it all belongs to him in the end. And I'm just a steward. If I can't handle stewardship, why would God handle you with something that's going to last forever? And that's people. See, it's sobering to me to think about that. Corey Ten Boom was a young girl during the Second World War. She spent time in the Nazi concentration camps. She knew what it was like to suffer physically, emotionally, and she knew what it was like to incur great loss as almost all of her family died in the Nazi concentration camps. But she survived. She was visiting a very famous, a very wealthy, a very influential pastor in the United States. And she had shared at a church service something like this. And after everyone had left and everyone had asked her all the questions and gave her all of the accolades, she came up to the pastor of that church and she said, Pastor, can you show me your hands, please? And so the pastor put his hands out like this in front of her. And she took her hands and she put them under him, very dangerous hands. And she put them under him and she said this to him Always keep your hands open. Don't hold on to things too tightly. Otherwise, it's really gonna hurt when the Father has to pry your fingers open. Friends, that's true of every one of us in this room today. Everything that we have been given, and particularly with regard to our finances, we must hold in our hands like this because it's not ours. (laughs) it's God's. It's all God's. And in this area of finances, if you and I want to understand and live out of a place of biblical well-being, we must understand margin. And I believe if we put these simple practices into place, you too can create margin in your life. You can reduce stress, you can reduce worry, We can begin to put an end to the arguing and the fighting. We can get set free from slavery, and we are less likely to fall victim to the sin of idolatry that always comes from wanting more and hanging on to what we have. I'm going to invite the team to come and lead us in a closing song. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, during the week typically what happens is whoever's preaching will talk or send notes out to the worship leaders and then they, you know, they get to choose, you know, their stuff, they get to choose what they're going to do and I'm so grateful and so thankful for what Brooke has chosen for today, but it comes with a warning. <laughs> She's chosen a really old hymn. It's a great hymn. It's got great words in it. It's called I surrender all. <laughs> and we need to be really careful as we approach a response and sing out a response. I had a professor in seminary when I was going, he said, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. (laughs) So we need to just think about what we're singing back to God today, because it's a response. You know, some of us honestly, lovingly, truly need to repent today, because we've squandered our finances. We know it. We know that our consumer debt is out of control. We know that our credit cards are maxed out. We know that we're doing Borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. But there's help, friends. There's hope. God has not left this area, this complicated area of finances to our own devices. He has given us principles in His Word that you and I can follow, and if we live by these principles, we will find freedom. Freedom does not come. Do not believe the ads. Freedom does not come from the lotteries. Imagine, just imagine the freedom is God's slogan, not the lottery company's slogan. God has promised you and I freedom if we will follow His principles. So some of us need to repent today, honestly and genuinely. We need to repent for how we've messed up. And then we need to seek help. We need to go to the course that's being offered. We need to get some help. We need to get some counseling. We need to draw alongside some people who are... There are people in this church who are wonderful at these principles and would love to help you out. See, this is where shared responsibility comes in, in this whole area of care. There are some people who are doing it. And you can go to them and get help from them. But I believe collectively before God, we need to be a people who are known to be people who manage our finances really well because it's essential to our walk as disciples of Jesus Christ and following Jesus with our whole hearts and being what we say around here, fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's essential. Money, sex, and power. You have to deal with those. So let's stand together as Brooke and the team lead us Let me pray for you, and then let's respond honestly and appropriately as God invites us to respond this morning. So, Lord, we're thankful and grateful for the Scripture and how it teaches us and how it leads us. Thank you for these timeless principles that you, our Creator, have laid out for us because you know us. Thank you that they are not burdensome, but they are life-giving and freeing. Help us to be a people who honor you in every area of our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.